great to see you here this morning. And uh, I'm just going to share with you, not, I won't be too long, but long enough, I hope. One of the ways that uh, companies try to get their products well known is they uh, have a symbol or a sign or some kind of logo that they want to associate with their brand. And if they can do that and get you to recognize their brand, then you know, that's a measure of their success. So I'm going to show you a little test now, see how good you are. I'm going to show you seven uh, symbols, signs. Well, I'm going to show you one more than that, but seven to start with. I did this up in the office as well earlier in the week, and I tested it out. I had a little dry run, and the most that anybody got was four out of seven. So just keep your own score, will you? So could we have the first one, please? Nice, easy one to start with. No whispering, come on. This is just for you and you alone. Yeah, okay, that's obviously you know what that is. What is that? Okay. Right, second one. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So a lot of people knew that. I expect a lot of the ladies knew that. Is that right? Yeah. It was a lady who knew that up in the office. The men didn't know what that was. <laughs> Third one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Easy. Fourth one. Ah, somebody got that over there. Well done. Who got that? Barbie. Next one, easy one. Yeah, obviously. Next one. Ah, heard that murmur over there. Primark. Nobody in the office got that one. Uh, the last one. Oh, yeah, Champions League, yes. So did you, how did you do? Did you get more than four out of seven? No? And I just want to show you another symbol. And I guess we all know that one. It's a familiar symbol. We get used to seeing the image of the cross. I expect even this morning there are some people who've got that as an item of jewelry. Or some people might even have that symbol tattooed on them. David Beckham, for example, has that tattooed on the back of his neck. It's a very common symbol. But the problem is with that is that we can lose a sense of its significance about what it really means. We get used to it because it's so familiar. It's a bit like um, when we go to the supermarket and we buy some meat. You know, it comes in a polystyrene tray, perhaps, and it's shrink-wrapped, and we lose a kind of significance of where that's come from. There was a survey done a few years ago among 16 to 23-year-olds about food and farming, and in that group, more than a third did not know that bacon came from pigs. Not only that, but only half identified the fact that a steak came from a beef cattle, came from beef cattle. I mean, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? But the problem is we get used to things. When I was in Nepal, the second time I went, I've been there many times since then, but the second time I went, I was up in this remote village in the high Himalayas. We saw one of the guys earlier, Neil showed us the picture of the kind of place where he lives. It's well above the tree line. There's no roads there. There's no electricity there. There's no proper sanitation. There's no hot and cold running water. It's extremely underdeveloped. And we went up there, no hotel, so we were camping, and we got to this village, and uh, the place we were 
where we were due to camp, there was a herd of goats there. So the goats had to be moved off. You can imagine what they left behind. And we camped on top of that. And um, then later on in the day, I saw the porters who carried most of our luggage uh, with a goat tethered. And they were walking down the path with the goat. And I said to them, what's happening? What are, where are they going? What are they doing? And I was told, well, that's lunch. And I thought, oh, right. So I thought I would go and see what was going to happen. And so I went, and what they were going to do is they were going to slaughter the goat. So I went to see it because I'd never seen that happen before. And so they laid the goat out, and they slit its throat. I hope you're not squeamish. And then they caught the blood in a pot. While that was going on, they were very interested in my reaction. I think they were wondering whether this Westerner would throw up, go very pale and faint, I'll run away, I'm not sure. But I didn't, I just stood and I watched. And uh, it was a very uh, interesting experience. It was very quiet. Much to my surprise, the goat didn't struggle, the goat didn't make a noise. It happened very quietly, very peacefully, very tranquilly, and slowly the goat's life just ebbed away. And that's what we had for lunch the next day. It was very different from seeing the polystyrene shrink-wrapped uh, meat in the supermarket, in the, in the cold section. The prophet Isaiah says this of Jesus' death on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. There he was, as he was led to the cross, that symbol that has become so familiar to us, and yet can lose something of what it's about, its significance, its impact, its meaning. Here the prophet brings it out, led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. What does he mean by that? He doesn't mean he didn't speak, because he did. He said seven things from the cross. But it means this. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't protest his innocence. He didn't plead for a last-minute reprieve. He didn't call down curses upon his enemies. Jesus made it clear that actually he willingly gave up his life on the cross. He took that punishment, that pain, that humiliation on the cross. Why? Why? Why did he go through with it? Why did he do it? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us this. He said, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So one of the things that the cross is about is about this. It's about reconciliation. It's about reconciliation with God. And the cross speaks of two elements of reconciliation. It talks about a personal reconciliation. What is meant by that? Well, let me just give an illustration. In Christmas 1914, in the First World War, the German troops were in one trench and opposite them, the British and allies were in the other trench, not too far apart. 
maybe even as close as I am to the wall at the back there. I've been out to the First World War sites, and I've seen where the trenches are, and I was quite surprised at how near they are. So not too far away, but near enough anyway for on Christmas Day 1914 for the Allied troops to hear some singing coming from the German trenches. And they were wondering what it was. And so they listened carefully. What's that noise they can hear? And it was the German soldiers singing Christmas carols. And then one of the British soldiers saw a Christmas tree, a little Christmas tree, something decorated like a Christmas tree appearing above the parapet. And gradually, slowly, heads began to appear. And then the troops got out of the trenches. And they tentatively walked towards each other. And they met in the middle of no man's land, and they shook hands, and they exchanged cigarettes, and they showed family photographs to each other. And then, believe it or not, they had a game of football. But it wasn't a reconciliation. It wasn't a reconciliation. Because they got back into their trenches, and the next day they were trying to kill each other. If, it's a reconcili- if there had been a reconciliation on that day, throughout the trenches, the war would have ended. (laughs) It would have been over. God desires for us a personal reconciliation. On that day in 1914, had there been a reconciliation, instead of being enemies, they would have become friends. And the Bible says this, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. So the cross is about a personal reconciliation. And today there's an invitation from the Lord to everybody here today, be reconciled to me. Maybe you've already made that choice as we've heard from those who are going to be baptized. They have made that choice to accept that offer through Jesus' death on the cross to be reconciled to God instead of being an enemy to becoming a friend. Do you know what it is? I would ask you this question. Do you know what it is to be personally reconciled to God? Because that is partly what the cross is about. Now that in itself would be amazingly good news. It would be fantastic news. But the cross is even more than that in terms of reconciliation. Not only is it a personal reconciliation, but it's a cosmic reconciliation as well. This is what God's plan and purpose is. Yes, that we should individually, from, becoming, from being enemies to becoming friends and be personally reconciled to God, but it's part of God's greater plan that one day the whole created universe will be reconciled to Him. It says this, and through Him, through Christ, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Well, I'll tell you what, that will be an amazing day. And you know what? It's already begun. When you become personally reconciled to God, then that's part of God's new creation. And one day, He's going to bring it to complete fullness, where the whole created world will be reconciled to Him. Because at the moment, we have to say, the created world is not reconciled to God. The created world is out of joint. There's something radically wrong with it. Even this week, I read of a landslide in Afghanistan where the, the, 
the mountain slid down engulfing a village and over 2,000 people were killed. Well, that to me does not speak of a created world which is reconciled to God. But God's plan and purpose is that one day through the cross, the whole creation will be reconciled to him. And failing words, trying to express what that's going to be like, the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, the mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. So it's going to be a certain, it's going to be an incredibly joyous occasion. More than that, though, he says, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. So where are we heading? This is where we're heading. Where we're heading. This is where the creation is heading. It's heading to be reconciled to God one day. That's God's plan and purpose. And on that day, it's going to be joyful. There's going to be a joyful innocence about it. And God's invitation to each one of us is that we are part of that. That we receive that personal reconciliation through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. The cross speaks of a God of love who is led like a lamb to the slaughter. The cross speaks of a God who desires personal reconciliation with each one of us. The cross speaks of a God who desires the whole creation one day to be reconciled to him. And it's already begun. It's begun in the hearts of those who are getting baptized now, and it's begun in many of our hearts by the Lord. What about you? There's an invitation for you today. Andy told us that one one day he was stirred as he came into this meeting. Perhaps today is the day in which the Lord is stirring you and is inviting you to be reconciled to him. Amen.